0: Good morning. morning. Welcome to St. Paul's. What's in it for me? That's the question that our world asks before it's even willing to lift a finger to help anyone else. But not so for us as servants of God. We seek to give God glory in all things. It is our duty to serve, actually. So we'll hear more about that in our worship service today from the scripture lessons, the songs, and the sermon. Let's begin by singing our opening hymn, Before You I Kneel, noting that the soloist will sing verse 1 alone, and you're welcome to join in on the verses after that.
1: No. Uh-huh.
2: to save me, oh God.
0: God, in your bountiful goodness, keep us safe from every evil of body and soul. Make us ready with cheerful hearts to do whatever pleases you. Through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you and the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Please be seated. As King David and the Israelites brought forward their offerings for the temple of the Lord everything that they brought was just staggering all of the gold and silver and precious stones yet they acknowledged this isn't to our glory even though that temple would become one of the ancient, uh, one of the wonders of the ancient world this was for the Lord's glory merely giving back to him what he had given to them then King David said to the whole assembly my son Solomon The one whom God has chosen is young and inexperienced. The task is great because this palatial structure is not for man, but for the Lord God. With all my resources, I have provided for the temple of my God. Gold for the gold work, silver for the silver, bronze for the bronze, iron for the iron and wood for the wood, as well as onyx for the settings, turquoise, stones of various colors, and all kinds of fine stone and marble, all of these in large quantities." David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, Lord, the God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I, and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given only you, you only what comes from your hand. We are foreigners and strangers in your sight, as were all our ancestors. Our days on earth are like a shadow, without hope. Lord our God. All this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you will test the heart and are pleased with integrity. All these things I have given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Lord, the God of our fathers Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep these desires and thoughts in the hearts of your people forever. And keep their hearts loyal to you. The word of the Lord. For our psalm today, once again, the soloist will sing verse 1 in the first refrain. Everyone join in verses 2 and 3.
1: rest in God
3: alone,
1: my rock and my salvation, a fortress strong against my foes, and I soul in God alone amid the world's temptations when an evil sings to
0: Thessalonians were going through harsh persecution, but in spite of that pressure down on them, they were growing, growing in faith and in love. No matter what suffering or persecution that you and I are ever called on to suffer as we follow Christ, we can take the same attitude as the Thessalonians. We're doing this to the glory of your name, Lord Jesus. Paul, Silas, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace to you from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, and rightly so, because your faith is growing more and more, and the love all of you have for one another is increasing. Therefore, among God's churches, we boast about your perseverance and faith in all the persecutions and trials you are enduring. All this is evidence that God's judgment is right, And as a result, you will be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you are suffering. With this in mind, we constantly pray for you that our God may make you worthy of his calling and that by his power he may bring to fruition your every desire for goodness and your every deed prompted by faith. We pray this so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. The word of the Lord. Please stand in honor of the gospel. The gospel today from Luke chapter 17 serves as the basis for our sermon. Jesus said to his disciples, Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. So watch yourselves. If your brother or sister sins against you, rebuke them. And if they repent, forgive them. Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. He replied, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it will obey you. Suppose one of you has a servant plowing or looking after the sheep. Will he say to the servant when he comes in from the field, Come along now and sit down to eat? Won't he rather say, Prepare my supper, get yourself ready and wait on me while I eat and drink. After that, you may eat and drink. Will he thank the servant because he did what he was told to do? So you also, when you have done everything you were told to do, should say, We are unworthy servants. We have only done our duty. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise be to you, O Christ. Please be seated for our next hymn. mercy and peace to you from God our Heavenly Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ who came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. Amen. God's word we consider in the sermon today the gospel from Luke 17. Let us pray. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. When we go to the doctor's office, there are many things that we take for granted. Things that are just expectations. You expect when you go to the doctor's office that the doctor and his staff will all have washed their hands or sanitized them. And that they'll use equipment that has been sanitized as well. And when you go, you'll expect that they will check all of your vitals, your blood pressure, your weight, your height, your temperature... And if anything seems off, they'll investigate that more thoroughly. And if you need follow-up care, they will schedule a follow-up appointment with you. Or if you can't be helped by their office, they'll refer you to a specialist. These things are simply expectations. It's the duty of those at the hospital and at the clinic to help us in those ways. They owe it to us, really, because of the money that we and our insurance companies pay them. They owe it to us because of professional medical ethics and just human decency as well. If they didn't do these kinds of things at the doctor's office, you would probably get pretty frustrated at least, and maybe at worst, end up suffering, having physical pain or some sort of illness that lasts for some time. Jesus impresses on you and me today that we have a duty As well. And even if we don't have a special degree or work in a clinic, it's our duty, and the duty that we have is far more important than any hospital or clinic. It's our duty to serve, both for the sake of the stumbler, and also for the sinner, and also for our Savior. Last weekend's gospel from the end of Luke 16, was the rich man and poor Lazarus. And when we hear that gospel lesson, we usually think of warnings against greed and selfishness and urging to pay attention to Moses and the prophets and the scriptures. But Jesus, as he transitions out of that and into a new section here in Luke 17, he says, your life makes an impression on other people. Other people notice that and that affects them. Think about how that would have worked for the rich man. How many people in his town looked up to him and wanted to live the same way as he did in luxury and they pursued that and chased after that their whole lives? How many other people were suffering like Lazarus and completely ignored because that's what the rich man, that's what this most important man in our town did We'll do that too. We'll ignore the poor and the suffering. How many other people, just like the rich man and his five brothers, had little to no regard for Moses and the prophets? That rich man probably thought, I'm just going about my own life, enjoying things for myself. Yet along the way, he caused soul after soul to stumble. That's what Jesus encourages us to consider here. Things that cause people to stumble are bound to come, but woe to anyone through whom they come. It would be better for them to be thrown into the sea with a millstone tied around their neck than to cause one of these little ones to stumble. We live in a fallen world, and it's just going to happen where people trip and stumble into sin or unbelief or despair. Those things are going to happen. Of implications there, then. That means even though we as a Christian congregation are going to encourage each other and try to keep each other on the path to heaven, there are potholes and there are rocks and bricks and boulders, obstacles in our path along that way. Also, as much as we would love to shelter our children from any bad influence around them, it's impossible. We can't do that completely for their whole lives. But Jesus pronounces pain and punishment on anyone through whom sin comes to these little ones. Jesus says, that's a terrible thing. And it will be terrible for whoever causes that in someone's life. When Jesus speaks of the little ones, that could be talking about little children, could also be talking about people who are new to the faith, little in their faith, or maybe even little noticed Christians, like a Lazarus, to whom no one paid any attention as he sat at the rich man's gate. And so Jesus says to you and me assembled here this morning, woe to you parents whose example leads their children to consider the one thing needful really just optional from week to week or year to year. Woe to you brothers and sisters who lead your younger brothers and sisters to think, well, it's freeing and fun to abuse your body. You can go ahead and do it too. Woe to students in schools whose filthy language pollutes little ears and then ends up oozing out of those little mouths as well. Woe. To you pastors and teachers whose bad attitudes towards ministry or towards each other turns other people off to Christianity. Woe to you lifelong Christians who push newcomers to the faith away by treating them and acting as though you're kind of strange. You're not really worthy. You're not not part of our crowd. Woe to Christians who think it's beneath them, who think they're too important to help those who are suffering and in need around them. I don't have time for that. It would be better for you if a millstone, a huge cement block, were hung around your neck and dropped into Lake Michigan. Imagine that. Sinking down further and further, struggling, headed for a watery grave. And Jesus says it would be better if that happened to you. Because what you really deserve is to be plunged down into God's condemnation, immersed in his wrath, sinking down deeper and deeper with the entire ocean's weight of God's condemnation pressing down on you for all eternity. As you consider all the times in your life that you did whatever you wanted, around whomever you wanted, without thinking about the repercussions or even caring about it, do you feel that weight getting a little bit heavier around your neck? We should be sunk. God didn't owe you or me anything. But God took it upon himself to carry our burden. That weight that should have hung around our necks, Jesus on the cross, the sin of the world hanging around his neck. How heavy! All of our negligence, all of our selfishness, all the times we tripped other people up into sin or despair or false belief, all the times in our pride we just didn't care about others, hung around Jesus' neck as he sank farther and farther down underneath God's condemnation until he was crushed and completely separated from God's love and goodness. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus sank down so far there on the cross until he stopped breathing. He gave up his spirit. He died. Now, you or I, we could never swim back up with a a millstone hanging around our neck, but Jesus, by God's almighty power... He was able to swim back up, break through the surface, out of death, rising again. That means that your iniquity and mine has been thrown into the depths of the sea. As far as God is concerned, it will never resurface ever again. All of our chains released, our burden removed. We are set back on dry ground Firmly on Christ, our solid rock. I'll always remember the time when I was a freshman in high school, swimming over at a friend's house who had an in ground pool with a slide and a diving board. A bunch of my buddies were there also from my class, and many of them were lying down on inflatable rafts in the pool. So I hopped on over the diving board and hopped in, dove in, and as I was coming back up from underwater, Uh, There was a raft above me. Pushed up on it a little bit, couldn't couldn't get up. Swam over to the side, tried to come up to the surface again. There's another raft up there. At this point, I was getting a little frantic. I I need to breathe here. Started thrashing around, swam over to the side again. Finally, I was able to break my head above the surface of the water, gasp for air, fill my lungs. (sighs) Maybe you've had an experience like that you get the feeling of what it must feel like to start to drown. I don't think I would have drowned there that day. But it sure changed my outlook whenever I was around water. I would be more careful. I would watch myself whenever I was around a swimming pool. Really, you and I have been spared of being immersed in God's condemnation So Jesus says, watch yourselves. Be careful. Little ears are listening. The eyes of newcomers are watching you. Be very cautious how you live, how you act, how you speak. It's your duty to serve others around you in this way so that they don't stumble on account of you. It's also our duty to serve the sinner. Jesus says, if your brother or sister sins against you, Rebuke them. If they repent, forgive them. Just as in a biological family, brothers and sisters can do the meanest things and say the most hurtful things to each other, that can happen in a Christian family too. Especially when we spend all this time gathered together around God's Word, serving alongside one another, our sinful nature sometimes gets the better of us. And so Jesus says, if another one of your Christian brothers or sisters sins against you, rebuke them. Notice he doesn't say rebuke them on social media. He doesn't say, go ahead and tell everyone else about it. No, you go to that brother or sister who sinned against you and you rebuke them. You'll do this in love. But a rebuke is a strong warning. So when you're dealing with sin that you've missed the mark of God's perfection that he demands, this calls for a rebuke. Many Christians feel, I don't know if uh, that's part of my job description. I don't think I could do that. I mean, after all, I've sinned too. Who am I to go and rebuke another brother or sister in Christ who sinned? Wouldn't a pastor do a much better job of this than me? And what if this gets uncomfortable? What if, if they don't listen? A few years ago, a man came home from work and decided, whoa, my grass is getting kind of long. It's time to mow the lawn. So he fired up his push mower, went back and forth across the back lawn. I was feeling maybe a little bit winded, but decided, I'm going to push through and try to get the front lawn mowed as well. He didn't really remember what happened next. But there was a bus driver who happened to be passing by. And the bus driver noticed this man collapsed on his front lawn. He rushed over to him. The man's ears and lips and hands were turning blue. He was having a heart attack. And so the bus driver, even though he didn't work for a clinic, didn't have a special degree in medicine, he called 911 and worked on CPR on that man until the paramedics came. He considered it his duty. There was only a limited amount of time so he sprang into action into service and the man's life was saved. We probably don't think of it this way too often but sin really attacks the heart of a Christian and if left untreated if left unconfronted it'll kill you. It's a widowmaker. It'll put you to death and separate you from God forever. So as a brother or sister in Christ, even though you're not a pastor, maybe my faith doesn't feel that strong, Jesus has given you the keys to every one of us. As Christians, it's the power and right given by Christ to forgive the sins of those who repent and to withhold forgiveness until they do repent. And when by God's power you go and rebuke a sinner and they're led to repent, And by God's grace, you get to tell them, I forgive you and Jesus forgives you too. You don't just buy another five or ten years for someone. You save them forever. Jesus continues, Even if they sin against you seven times in a day and seven times come back to you saying, I repent, you must forgive them. As if one time weren't bad enough, It hurts when another Christian sins against you. Maybe they lose their temper and blow up at you. Or they say they were going to be there for you and then they let you down. Maybe they falsely accuse you of something. That hurts. I'm sure you've heard the expression, fool me once, shame on you. Fool me twice, shame on me. Jesus charges us here, forgive shamelessly. No matter how many times they come back and say, I repent, forgive them. He says, it's our duty. He doesn't just say, you should do this in the original. He says, you will do this. There's no option for us. It's our duty to forgive those who repent, and in, in this way to serve the sinner. But we also serve our Savior. Jesus, at the end of this section, gives four verses, a little servant story to which we can compare our service to him. He speaks of a servant out in the field, whether tending sheep or plowing in the field. You think about those kinds of tasks. Those tasks require vigilance and diligence and focus. They're hands-on, hand-on-the-plow. Kind of tasks. So after you've worked hard out in the field all day, you come in from, from working in the field, you just, last thing you want to do is work some more. You want to put your feet up, recline, and dine. Not yet. Serving the Master comes first. Oh, yeah, you'll get your daily bread, you'll be taken care of, but serving the Master comes first. There are orders to carry out. Not just suggestions, or if you happen to get around to it, orders from your master. And he doesn't just say, You deserve a bonus, you deserve a raise. No, we don't deserve a round of applause or a special award. It's our duty. We are unworthy servants. Think about that. Unworthy servants. God doesn't need us. God could just say the word and it would happen, just like the six days of creation. And if he did need servants, why would he come to us? He's got the angels who can do more, more quickly, more efficiently than any of us. But instead he does come to us. And he says, you, you get to be part of my household and serve me in everlasting righteousness, innocence, and blessedness. It's your duty to serve. The word duty there means you owe it to me. And Why is that? It's because we could flip this servant story around and put Jesus in that servant's place. Jesus, who being equal to God, in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but he took on the nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, He became obedient even to death on the cross. Jesus served. He served tirelessly every moment and hour of every day and night throughout his entire life, doing all the things that we should have done. Jesus served thanklessly as his disciples abandoned him and as even his own people called for his crucifixion. Jesus served completely, Not only for himself, but he never led anyone else into sin either. And Jesus, even though he paid for all of our sins there at the cross, he still, every day, every time we come back and say, I repent, says, you're forgiven. Jesus first put on his towel to serve as he washed his disciples' feet and as he went to the cross, all before he went and sat down at the heavenly feast where he now lives always to intercede for you and me, forgiving us every time we repent. And that's why we really do owe it to him. Yes, he's our Lord. Yes, he's our master, but he's also our savior. So it's our duty to serve. Back during the pandemic, healthcare teams were hailed as heroes. All those extra shifts that they were putting in, the longer hours, putting themselves at risk of contracting a virus that most people didn't fully understand, even putting their family members at risk indirectly. They were hailed as heroes. But one nurse said this, I don't think of myself like that. I'm just going to do my job. There are people suffering. There are people who need healing, people who need help And it's my duty to help them. That's my job. That's the attitude that Jesus impresses on you and me today here in Luke 17. It's our duty to serve, being very watchful about how we live and how we speak so that we don't lead other people into sin. It's our duty to serve the sinner by rebuking them and forgiving them whenever they repent. And it's our duty to serve Jesus, not only as our Lord and Master, but Also as our Savior, may our Lord work in you and me this attitude to greater and greater degree every day as we wake up and say, yes, today is another day where it's my duty to serve. Amen. Please stand. may the peace of God, which goes beyond all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. We continue by singing the Te Deum using the instructions as they're written there.
1: You are-
0: Eternal Lord, give us peace as we ponder the good news that you forgive our sins in Christ. Lead us to see clearly the path you have laid out for us. Provide courage and compassion to all who preach and teach your word. Fill them with a love like yours as they proclaim your grace to us and all people. Guard and guide the families of our congregation. Lead husbands and wives to love each other with commitment, respect, and patience. Help parents to grasp the eternal value of keeping their children close to Jesus all their lives. Grant joy to those who are single and make them a blessing to others. Protect us from the
3: temptations that surround us. Give us
0: pure hearts and minds. Provide wisdom and insight to those who make laws and set policies. Give us respect for those who protect us from crime, lead us to value the rights of our fellow citizens, and to defend those who cannot defend themselves. Bless our land with peace and prosperity, so that the
3: gospel may be proclaimed
0: to all. Give us passion to share the story of your love with our family and friends. Overcome unbelief, and open the hearts of people everywhere to believe the good news that Jesus has forgiven their sins and opened the gates of heaven. Extend your healing power to those who are sick and suffering in body or mind. Give patience and compassion to all who care for the sick and dying.
3: The eyes of the distressed, Christ.
0: Heavenly Father, watch over Sherry Hansen through her hip replacement later this week. And according to your will, grant a successful surgery and smooth recovery. Jesus, our Heavenly Bridegroom, We praise you for seeking us and washing us and being faithful to all of your promises to us. Please bless Josh and Melanie Eickhoff, united in marriage this weekend. Remain at the center of their household. Hold them close in your love. Give them faithfulness to each other throughout their lives and keep them in the saving faith. Jesus, our risen Savior, bring comfort to the family of Dave Probst, whose brother Tom died this past week. By the power of the Spirit, Tom trusted in you through many health struggles in recent years, and now he is free of all suffering and pain. Give us the same confidence that when death draws near, we will live forever with you because of you. And Jesus, please also be with the family of Steve Sheeler, whose mother Doris died this past week as well. Please be with them as they grieve and mourn, but also fill them with the hope of the resurrection through faith in you. Please be with all who mourn at this time. And also hear us, Lord, as we pray in silence. Gracious God, you govern and direct all things and you love all people. Hear our prayers, spoken and silent, and answer them in your wisdom and grace. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the
2: glory forever and ever. Amen. O Lord, our heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, you have brought us safely to this new day. Defend us with your mighty power. And grant that this day we neither fall into sin nor run into any kind of danger. And in all we do, direct us to what is right in your sight. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord. Let us praise the Lord. The Lord bless and keep you, the Lord's face ever shine upon you, the Lord grant you peace for all your days.
0: Thank you so much for joining us in God's house today. Just a couple of highlights and announcements. Uh, First of all, uh, Pastor Miller had a call to serve down in in Waukesha as a pastor down there. But this past week, he did return that call. And so he will continue serving among us here at St. Paul's. Very thankful to the Lord for that. Uh, and then during the Bible class hour today, we had a, an open forum in the gym with a staffing presentation from the school board. So if you weren't able to be there for that, uh, please keep an eye on the announcements and feel free to ask any of the school board members or me or Mr. Marone, our principal, if you have any questions about what's going on with that. In short, we are seeking to call a full-time 3K teacher starting next, next school year and also a second grade teacher because we're blessed to have larger enrollments than we had initially projected uh, in those classes and uh, enough so that we would need to split those two grades uh, starting next year. But any more questions on that, feel free to reach out to school board, me or Chad. Uh, Then we've got the Wells Connection for the month of October.
4: Hi, I'm Wells' President, Mark Schrader. Ministry to the young people of our Synod is more important than ever. They're surrounded by a culture that's directly opposed to the beliefs and values they've learned since they were children. That presents them and those who minister to them with some real challenges. But no matter how difficult it may be, we know how vital it is to nurture the faith of a young person. One way that happens on a large scale is at the Wells International Youth Rally, as more than 2,000 young people gathered for worship, for instruction in God's Word, and, oh yeah, more than a little fun and fellowship. I think it's awesome so far.
3: It's awesome i really like it that's two out of three you got 30 seconds each round ready set go
4: there's certainly no shortage of excitement and enthusiasm at the wells international youth rally which returned this year to the university of tennessee
5: i absolutely love it i love how they have the bouncy houses because honestly it matches my personality
4: but it's not all just fun and games at this largest regular gathering of wells members this year, there were over 2,000 attendees.
6: Koine did a great job, and then Pastor Westra, man, his message was powerful. We join together
2: as God's children. We confess the Christian faith that lives in our hearts. I love
4: like when we sing all together. It's so nice. I love it so much. I love just hearing everybody praising God together.
5: When I think of the Wells Youth Rally, it's all these young people that are wondering who else is out there that believes the same things and to look around this stadium and see their family and Jesus and to be able to just make connections, whatever kind of connections they can make, they make, and just celebrate being Christians together and celebrate having that true word of God and sharing that bond
4: with each other. This four-day event gives teens the chance to be spiritually fed through worship and small group workshops and encouraged through the fellowship of gathering with so many others their age who share their faith.
6: What I really appreciate about a teen event having all of our teens be able to come from our congregations gathered together because not every teen goes to a Christian high school. And just being a part of a community where they are surrounded by like-minded
5: Christians.
4: With this being a biennial event, however, there's a large gap of time between each youth rally. Four days of heightened, exciting, spiritual nourishment and encouragement, and then everyone goes their separate ways.
6: We don't just want it to be an experience at a cool place. We want to equip them. Uh, We want to equip those that are called and those that are willing to lead them and, and deal with them at such a critical time in their ministry.
4: To assist local churches in encouraging the teens of their congregation between youth rallies, the Wells Commission on Discipleship is offering resources to help keep that fire going. The first is video-based materials that youth group leaders can use to plan this type of ministry. The other is a kit for putting on youth nights. Think of these youth nights as a youth rally experience that happens on the local level. The kit is a blueprint that local congregations can adapt and make their own to best fit their ministry setting.
6: It is to to bring about that, that sense of God's people getting together. It's not just necessarily kids from your own church. It's welcoming, it's inviting, it's getting kids from different areas and and different places to maybe then sit down and to experience God's grace and to gather around His Word uh, with other people that they might not often do.
4: Adolescence is such a critical moment in the spiritual lives of Christians. These teens are coming of age at a time in history when Christianity is under attack, when following Christ doesn't seem to be what's trending.
5: Whatever the different issues are that's facing them that my generation, you know, I don't even know. Uh, I, it's so new to me even, and, and I've seen a lot. Um, just to let them know you're not alone, and you're the here and now.
4: It's having so much fun. And knowing that everybody believes in the same stuff as me is so awesome.
6: I cringe a little bit when I hear people say that the young people of our Synod are the future. They are not just
5: the future of our Synod, they are the here and now of our Synod. And I hope that they go back and say, hey, I am the now, get me plugged in, I want to be active, I want to be a part of church, I want to be a part of outreach, I want to be a part of building God's
3: family and His community.